Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. It is the week of the man we call Nicholas Kyrgios. He's won his second title of 2019. He either loses in the first round or he wins the title in 2019. This time the City Open adding adding to his trophy case. It already consists of Acapulco this year. Uh, it's been a, a very strange year for one Nick Kyrgios, but it was a very impressive run, very impressive form in Washington, D.C. And as early in the first and the second round, people were saying, Nick's mood, it kind of looks like Acapulco this week. People were saying that way early. And the result is the same. Nobody beat Nick Kyrgios this week in Washington, D.C. So he is the, the main topic of the show. He is, after all, the thumbnail today. There's your thumbnail. But also a congratulations to Diego Schwartzman winning Los Cabos, south of the border, a 250 event, a very strong field, beat Guido Pela in the semifinals, beat the red-hot Taylor Fritz in the final. A treasure to this sport. Congratulations to Schwartzman. We're not going to talk today about if Nick Kyrgios is good for the sport or bad for the sport. It's one of the most tired arguments of all in all of tennis. The answer is blatantly obvious. I've said it on this channel before. I'll keep it to myself right now because we're just going to talk about his tennis. How come he was so hard to beat this week? And what I was thinking about as I was watching this Kyrgios run, I was thinking there's a mindset in tennis that is so powerful that it makes players 10 times worse than their normal selves. There's something in tennis that makes the best players in the world miss a shot that they would ordinarily make 10 out of 10 times. It's called nerves. We're all familiar with it. It is an incredible, powerful thing. Something in your mind that makes a player worse. Not by a little bit, by a lot. That's nerves. So I was thinking, what must be the opposite of nerves? There has to be an opposite. Is it simply absence of nerves? Or does it go further than absence of nerves? I'm thinking it does. If there's a mindset that can make you hit shots or miss shots that you would almost always make in the biggest moments, then shouldn't there be a mindset that allows a player to make shots that they would normally miss. What's the opposite of nerves? And to me, Nick Kyrgios has that. It's swagger. Swagger is the opposite of nerves. It is the ultimate level of freewheeling. It is an embodiment of the fullest confidence one can have. And it results in playing shots that can't get any looser. There's no tension in Nick's game because he has a level of swagger that really no one else brings to the court. And when he makes incredible drop shots and, and hits trick shots and flashy shots and flat 100 five mile per hour forehands and, and he's making those shots and the way he's carrying himself around the court before the point and after the point and during the point 
with 100% disregard for any concern in the world that perhaps he's going to look like a fool if he hits this shot and misses it or perhaps he's going to lose this match or lose this point when he has so when he has complete disregard for that possibility and he has the audacity to go for the shots that he goes for and he has the audacity to walk around the court like he owns the thing is that just nick not caring or is that nick actually using a weapon against his opponent the weapon of swagger I think it's a weapon. I think it makes him play better. And I think when you're on the other side of the court, you feel that. And it's intimidating. How could you be intimidated by Nick Kyrgios? The man has never really been deep in a major since he, since he was a teenager. And he went deep in Wimbledon. I think it was 2015. God, that was a while ago. So how could you be afraid of, or maybe it was 2014. How could you be afraid of Nick Kyrgios? Because the swagger is, you, you feel that. And it's disconcerting when you're trying to play Nick Kyrgios. But I also really do think that it allows him to make these shots that, that we're not used to seeing players make on the court. And it's not just about the flash. Not just flash. It's also effectiveness. I mean, it is drop shots from difficult positions. Again, it is massive forehands on the run. These kind of things, it's not just for the highlight reel. It's winning him points. Of course, you got to pair it with talent. You got to pair it with ability. And a lot of people will say, well, Nick, the talent is overhyped. The man isn't even in the top. Well, now he's in the top 30. The man was outside of the top 30 for years. In what should be the prime of his career. He's in his mid-20s, Nick Kyrgios. And he's not even in the top 30. So what in the world is all this talent everyone's talking about? Well, for much of this week, Nick Kyrgios was serving at the level of a group of players that, let's just say, are often called serve bots. Yeah, he was at an Ivo Karlovic level. He was at a John Isner level. But Nick Kyrgios isn't close to seven feet like Isner and Karlovic. Serving at a Milos Raonic level. Serving at a Riley Opelka level. He's not that tall. Consider the skill gap between Nick Kyrgios and the players I just named. With respect to guys like Raonic and Kevin Anderson, who have higher skill levels than Opelka, Raonic, I mean, excuse me, Opelka, Isner, and Karlovic, but those three guys I just named, the guys close to seven feet, they serve better than the other two. Kyrgios is serving at that level. I don't have his official height listing, but looks about 6'3 to me. Consider the skill gap. Between Nick Kyrgios, his ability with, with his backhand and how short he keeps that shot and how he's able to redirect that shot, how precise he hits that shot. I meant his backhand if I said his forehand. His forehand, which he can hit flat, which he can hit heavy topspin, which he can change direction on, which he can do damage from anywhere in the court with. His hands... 
We can go to the net and hit drop volleys where he can hit drop shots from difficult positions. His creativity where you don't know what shot Nick Kyrgios is going to hit next. When you think about the package of skills that Nick Kyrgios brings to the table and he's serving like John Isner, that is why people think that if Nick Kyrgios put it together, he could be really difficult to deal with for any player in the world. That is why. Why doesn't that come out consistently? can get to that a little bit later. I've talked about it. Uh, I made a video last year. I said it was titled, I'm losing confidence in Nick Kyrgios. I still don't have a lot of confidence in Nick Kyrgios. But... If you're saying his talent is overhyped, well, then you're you're disregarding a lot of things. Maybe you don't think serving is talent. I don't agree. I think serving is talent. And I think pound for pound, Nick Kyrgios might be the best server in the world. The way he's able to hit his spots. He, he hurt his back against Daniil Medvedev. And he couldn't pop in the first serve. He couldn't pop his serve 135. And he was so good at hitting his spots and having a serve that's impossible to read and putting the toss in the same place every time and mixing it up that Daniil Medvedev couldn't, still couldn't return Nick Kyrgios' serve. Get to the Medvedev match a little bit later, uh, but I want to start with uh, the Tsitsipas match um, and go a little bit into, into some detail. Um, so Nick Kyrgios has a special way of forcing his opponent into cat and mouse points. Iced coffee today. He's got a special way of doing that. He's really good at that. And the best way to do that is to throw in a drop shot. Um, and sometimes Kyrgios isn't in the best position to hit drop shots, but will still hit a decent enough drop shot where it's not necessarily giving him the upper hand, but it's it's putting the point in a in a position where Kyrgios wants it, where it becomes about improvisation, creativity, and and really good hands and shot making. So Kyrgios did this to Tsitsipas, in my opinion, to great effect. And we're going to take a look at instances in the first set where he did this. But I'm also going to criticize Tsitsipas here because he needs to do a better job uh, in this particular instance. This is the first drop shot of the match. Comes at love one, Kiro serving at 30-15. It's a cross-court drop shot. Tsitsipas is there in plenty of time, and he's going uh, to punch this deep down the line. Which, I'll start off by saying, if you're a young player, normally the best play if someone drop shots you is to punch it deep down the line. You're already kind of where you need to be on the court positionally. All you got to do is kind of close the net. Normally, it puts you in a really good position to hit a second volley. As long as you keep that deep, you're you're going to make your opponent try to hit a difficult pass, but you're going to be in really good position no matter what. And it's a somewhat low difficulty shot, although you are going over the high part of the net and you don't have much court to work with. But if you can hit it, punching it down the line is normally the best way to set up a... a a second volley or a first volley. That's what Tsitsipas does here. And he hits it well. Tough position for Kyrgios, 
but he's there and Nick kind of takes this off the hop half volley in my opinion one of the most impressive shots of the entire match um, in terms of difficulty Kyrgios hits this down the line pass and Tsitsipas actually catches it late he's surprised by the pace and it goes into the net I have no problem with that from Tsitsipas he actually he hit a pretty good shot off that drop shot. He closed the net, and Kyrgios really hit a hit a great shot. Half volley from the baseline, lots of pace down the line on the pass, and Tsitsipas caught the volley late. Whatever. Moving on. Let's go to the next drop shot. This time, it's a backhand drop shot, cross-court from Nick, again targeting the Tsitsipas backhand. Tsitsipas charges, and look at that. He's there in plenty of time. So what does he do this time? Same shot. Punches it deep down the line. This time, Kyrgios is there, but Tsitsipas on serve. Uh, Kyrgios tends to get a little flashy when he's returning serve. It's a bad habit of his, and he goes for the tweener and misses it terribly. But again, if you go from here where Kyrgios is drop-shotting from the baseline, I mean, this is not a good place to drop-shot from. Tsitsipas is there in plenty of time. You're going to want to maybe stretch Nick out a little bit, put some pressure on him. If Kyrgios wanted to take this as a normal forehand, he would have had a great look at this pass. Now, instead, he, he goes for a ridiculous tweener and loses the point. But again, Tsitsipas just went for the same shot on the next instance of a drop shot. And I knew at this point, as I was watching this match, I'm going to watch for how Tsitsipas is returning these drop shots because there's a lot of options here. And he seems to be doing the same thing every time. You can redrop down the line. That is Nadal's favorite um, way to return a drop shot. Rafa loves that. He just redrops down the line. And he, he it's always, you know, he's very close to the net. And it's a very short distance to the other side of the court. So it's a, it's, it's a good, it's a strong drop shot. You can go short cross-court angle, which is probably after the, the punching it deep down the line, probably normally the second best option, you get the low part of the net and you get that nice, you get a nice position to hit an angle shot from if you have good hands. Or if you're there in this much time, you can try to hit over the ball and, and get some pace on it on, you know, and try to, you can go wherever you want with it. But when you're there in this much time, and I know it, it can be difficult, you can try to hit over it. But Tsitsipas does none of that. Let's go to the next drop shot. Again, this is a down-the-line drop shot. Nick is behind the baseline. And yet, CT Pass is far back. But if you have decent speed and someone's hitting a drop shot from behind the baseline, you're going to get there. Kyrgios is just trying to make this a cat-and-mouse point. That's all he's trying to do. And CT Pass gets there once again. In plenty of time. Hip level. Slices it again. Continental grip. Doesn't hit over it. Same shot. This time he punches it long, down the line. Again, the drop shot works for Kyrgios. Again, Tsitsipas goes for the same shot. Here's what I'm talking about. Here's the Tsitsipas drop shot. Skip to the third set. Kyrgios charges, gets there, hits this at the level of his knees. So this is a more difficult retrieval for Kyrgios. But he understands he has options other than to punch the ball deep. He's going to use his hands and hit a winner cross-court angle. And I just didn't see Tsitsipas coming up with these kind of shots off of Kyrgios drop shots. And Kyrgios is a very frequent drop shotter. You have to be ready 
to reply effectively to these drop shots. So now we skip ahead to 7-all in the third set tiebreak. The match is on the line. And this is a weird net cord that kind of catches Kyrgios off guard. Look at Tsitsipas. When this ball is struck, he knows the drop shot is coming. Really good anticipation. And Kyrgios should be, for lack of a better term, screwed here. Tsitsipas is already charging in when he's hitting the drop shot. And he's in the alley three, four feet behind the service line. What's going to happen here? Tsitsipas is going to have a great shot at this next ball. And he does. Waist to knee level. Kyrgios isn't even recovered. But again, continental grip from Tsitsipas. He doesn't hit over it. Okay, that's fine. No problem. What's the one shot that Tsitsipas probably shouldn't hit here? If you're, if you're watching on YouTube, and this is going to be tougher if you're listening, but Kyrgios is in his backhand corner. And Tsitsipas has a ball in the middle of the court, inside the service box, between his hips and his knees. And he's continental grip. He could redrop cross court. He could punch it deep cross court because Kyrgios isn't recovered. But instead, he goes to his, clearly his instinct and, and what he's used to and what he's comfortable with. And it is not the right shot. He does absolutely nothing with this ball. Gives Kyrgios an easy look at a backhand pass. Kyrgios uh, directs it down the line. Tsitsipas makes a stretch volley. And now Nick gets a second look at a pass. He's going to flick it down the line again. And this time Tsitsipas misses the forehand volley. Kyrgios goes up. 8-7. This is the mini break. And on the next point of the match, uh, Nick asks a fan behind him, where should I serve it? The fan says out wide, and Kyrgios hits an ace. And if you missed it, on match point in his last three matches against uh, Gombosh, Gombosh, uh, Tsitsipas, and then, oh wait, sorry, wrong match. And, and Medvedev, he asked the fan, this is the Tsitsipas match. So instead, he asked the fan, where should I serve it? The fan says, serve it to his backhand. Uh, Kyrgios goes to the, the Tsitsipas backhand, short return, hits a forehand winner on the next ball. So... We also saw in this match why Nick Kyrgios loses matches that he shouldn't. In the, the first set against Tsitsipas was the best set of tennis I've seen him play in quite some time. Since Acapulco against Nadal. What a set of tennis. Wins at 6-4 was nearly unplayable on his serve. Again, serving, serving like Isner... And following it up, like, let's just say better than Isner. And also returning quite well. On his forehand return, a shot that he he likes to block back. And sometimes he catches it late and doesn't put it in play very often. Or doesn't put it in play with as much fervor. He's actually getting ahead of his forehand return and hitting over it in this match against Tsitsipas. Especially in the first set. What a set. Incredible. And then early in the second set, Kyrgios still kind of has this kind of workmanlike attitude that he's had all week. I watched the Gombosh match. Won at 6-3, 6-3. I mean, it was, it was a perfect mentality from Kyrgios. Having fun. 
but also very focused throughout, without any blips, without any lapses in concentration. But in the second set, someone in the crowd shouts out, I still don't know what they said. Maybe it's my sound system on my on my computer, or, you know, I or my television. I don't know what was said. Uh, but Kyrgios got upset with people talking in the crowd, people making noise in the crowd, and lost the second set because of it. And there's no excuses for that. And I have no sympathy for that. You get over it. It's a crowd. Some people are going to talk. Some people are going to get are going to make noise. Good luck in New York at the U.S. Open. You can't deal with a little noise in the crowd. Good luck in New York. Just what's going to happen. And you can't control it. Nick lets it control him. He can't control it, but he lets it control him. And at some point in his career, it will serve him well to learn that what is out of your control, you can't control. So you don't worry about. Very simple principle. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine Federer, Djokovic, or Nadal beginning to tank because of someone because someone said something in the crowd? It would never happen. Of course, I mean that's that it's almost obvious. I don't even know why I said that, but yeah, it would never happen. And it, it was a ridiculous second set by Kyrgios where he got broken after someone in the crowd shouted out and then he didn't try for the rest of the set still held serve a lot because his serve is just that good where he can tank and still hold serve but it, it was ridiculous and then in the third set um i think the the level of returning from kyrios which is his his strength it went down and Pass really settled into the match played a good third set uh it was it was high quality all around until that tie break it could have went either way because Pass is just that good um, he was playing shot for shot with Nick for the most part, but at seven all, Kyrgios wins a cat and mouse point. And I think that was an interesting way to end it. Again, I was watching the whole match thinking, you know, I um, I was watching the whole match knowing that I was going to do a breakdown on the way Pass was handling the drop shots. And then I love it when this happens. Seven all in the third set tie break, another example. And it, it, it swings the match. I love it when that happens. Some quick words on the Medvedev match. Um, I don't have any screenshots, and we will get to a Montreal Rogers Cup preview. I apologize for not teasing that in the beginning, but hopefully you saw the title of the video or the podcast, and, and you know that Montreal preview is coming up. The Medvedev match was interesting. Uh, Kyrgios wins two tie breaks. The level of returning was uh, really atrocious on on both ends. Kyrgios' return was was really bad. Um, and Medvedev's returning, a little bit more sympathetic because Kyrgios' serve is so good. But, but it, it, again, it, it was subpar returning by both of these players. And they really weren't getting much in the court, not giving themselves much of a chance to, to break serve. And I don't think there were any breaks in this match, if I'm not mistaken. Kyrgios, though, I, I mentioned he, he hurt his back in the first set and used incredible spot serving to continue uh, a high level from the serve. And then he eventually loosened up in the second set and started started moving with, with the kind of freedom 
that we've seen him move with all week. The the injuries will will keep coming. I'll save this for after the match, um, after I get through this match. But again, Nick, he was bothered with his right arm. He was bothered with his back, and the knees kind of held up. But he had, of course, tape on his knees, which which he always has. Or actually, was there tape? Uh, I know coming into the week, he's had some trouble. Uh, all year, he's had trouble with his knees, but they seem to behave on this occasion. I do think, though, what Kyrgios does really neutralizes Medvedev's game. Because Medvedev's game, the crux of Medvedev's game is I'm more consistent and I have better cardio and I remain unattackable because my ball is deep, my ball stays low, I'm fast laterally, you can't attack me, I'm more consistent. And I have better shot tolerance. So how are you going to win? That's how I look at Medvedev's game. It's very difficult to find paths to victory against Medvedev. He also has a he does a spectacular job redirecting his backhand down the line and um, controlling with his backhand from the center of the court. I thought in this match his forehand was actually better than usual at, at generating. But what Kyrgios is, is a great generator of offense. So I don't think the whole Medvedev is rather unattackable at all times. I don't think that applies against a player as offensively talented as a Nick Kyrgios. So I went back and I, I looked at some other players that I likened to, to Kyrgios in terms of firepower. I looked at Roger Federer, and Federer has beaten Medvedev in, in about an hour now in the last two times they've played. Straight sets, no problem. Ever since the first time they've played... Um, which Federer also won. So head-to-head, -head, it's 3-0 Federer. The last two times, Federer has blown out Daniil Medvedev. Great offensive generator. Went back, looked at Fabio Fanini. Fanini lost last time he played to Medvedev, but beat him the two times prior. I think in general, when you have a player who's as comfortable with generating offense as Kyrgios, Medvedev's just not going to pose as much of a problem as he normally does. You have the firepower from the Kyrgios serve. You have his ability to approach the net. I don't think Medvedev has good passing shots because he lacks spin. So he doesn't do a good job of dipping the ball below the net. He doesn't create the angles that most players can come. If you can come straight to the net, and Kyrgios did a good job serving volley in this match as well, um, if you can find ways to come to the net, if you can drop shot Daniil Medvedev, hands aren't that good, bring him to the net, Medvedev's volleys, one of the weakest parts of his game. So if you can use creativity and you have a, a large arsenal of offensive firepower, if you have a forehand big enough to do damage from the back of the court, even when Medvedev hits trades that against most opponents are unattackable, well, you have a good chance of beating him. If you can use the short slice against Daniil Medvedev and try to draw him into, the, into net, like I think Dan Evans, I think he played Dan Evans earlier, um, was it in Queens? I meant to look at that before I started. Um, he played someone who just short chip all day and Medvedev couldn't handle it. That's what Federer's done to him now the last two times. Short chip. When you have these weapons, what Daniil Medvedev does is eradicated. He loves rhythm. He wants long rallies. He wants to beat you with shot tolerance and cardio. 
but Kyrgios can can take it to Medvedev in a way. It takes away what's so great about his game. Um, so Kyrgios fought through it, wins two tie breaks, and wins the City Open title. My overall thoughts on Nick is we saw in the Tsitsipas match why mentally there's problems over the course of two weeks, over the course of best of five. He's not going to win one right now. He's just not. He's not going to go deep. I mean, maybe he could go deep, but he's not going to win. And then in the Medvedev match, we saw the second reason why Kyrgios is not going to be a consistent top tenner on tour unless something changes. Won't break the top 10. Won't go deep in slams. Because staying healthy is an active role. Staying healthy is not about luck. There's luck involved. There's genetics. But you got to work hard if you're going to stay healthy. If I go out right now, if I, Gil Gross, go and, and train four hours a day and play tournaments, I'm going to get injured. I'm going to get injured. It's just going to happen. I'm not going to stay healthy. Because I haven't strengthened, I, I haven't worked on my body in a way where I can handle this and stay healthy. And Nick Kyrgios doesn't do that. Nick Kyrgios, admittedly, is not spending a lot of time in the gym and is therefore going to continue to get injured. It's just how things work. It'll continue to happen. Uh, so that's my unwavering view on, on Nick Kyrgios and his, his long-term prospects. But it, it's really good to see him do, do things like, like he did this week because it, it, it's super entertaining. And um, let's see. Let's see the kind of views this video gets. We'll see. But I have a feeling it'll get more than your average kind of post-City Open 500 video. We'll see what happens. But that's just my, that's just my thoughts because I think people are interested. Rogers Cup, Montreal, not a very good field, to be honest. No Federer, no Djokovic. Nadal is playing. Um, there's also some, some other notable absences. But, uh, you know, while Martin Del Potro isn't back yet, it, it feels a little empty to me. Just does. Uh, but let's go quarter by quarter. I will say this is this is a pretty tough one, especially the bottom half. God, who's going to come out of this bottom half? I mean, there are there are loads of players who can. We'll start with Nadal's quarter. He's the one seed. Got Fabio Fanini. He's got Borna Chorich. He's got David Gafan. Uh, my dark horse for this quarter is Tommy Paul. He is a qualifier at this tournament, and um, he was pretty impressive at the City Open. Um, he's someone who's not your typical American. He's a really good athlete. He's got a big forehand. He's okay with clay courts. He's got a nice draw here. He plays Braden Schnur, uh, the Canadian wild card. So I think he, if I'm not mistaken, will be favored in this first round. And then he'll play Fabio Fanini, uh, who lost prematurely in Los Cabos. I guess he lost to Taylor Fritz, if I remember correctly, um, who's generally beatable on hard courts is Fabio. Sorry, I'm just switching from the draw back and forth. Upset alert. 
Um, David Gafan, just by nature of his draw, um, I thought he'd do better in DC if you watched Monday Match Analysis last week, but he drew he draws Guido Pela in the first round, which t to me it's like a 50-50 match. Now there's only 16, or no, not, not 16, there's only, I want to say, 17 seeds. How many seeds in this draw? It doesn't go up to 32 like, like a normal... Uh, like a normal major, of course. So, you know, you're going to have, in any 1,000 event, you're going to have some really good players unseated. Guido Pale is one of them. And uh, David Gafan gets the worst of that. So early popcorn, Gafan versus Pela in the first round. If you look at Nadal's path, uh, he'll get Demonor or Dan, Dan Evans in the second round. Um, then he'll probably get Pela or Gafan in the next then on the other other side of the draw, you do have Borna Chorich in there. Pay, plays Peter Gojewicz, fresh off of his semifinal run in D.C. in the first round. Tough first round for Chorich. I think he gets through it. Kukushkin, Manorino is in there as well. So I think Nadal has a pretty relatively weak quarter here. And I think he'll be pretty happy with it. So that's why Nadal comes out of it. Let's go to the next one. Stefanos Tsitsipas's quarter. You got Kane Shikori in there. Roberto Bautista Agu and Gael Monfils. I like this quarter a lot, actually. I think it's loaded. Um, for Tsitsipas, he'll await the winner of Taylor Fritz and uh, Hubert Hercoc. So a really tough first round for Tsitsipas. And uh, a long week in D.C. he's coming off of. And a lot of points to defend. It's a big week for Tsitsipas. A lot of pressure here. My dark horse is Taylor Fritz. I don't I don't think he'll beat Tsitsipas, but I just want to acknowledge that Fritz has reached the final in three out of his last four tournaments. The one tournament that he didn't reach the final in, it was Wimbledon. So Fritz is red hot. He's hitting his serve huge. He's hitting his forehand huge. He does not miss routine backhands. This guy's just a really good ball striker. And you'll find better athletes on tour. You'll find more creative players on tour. But the dude just, he can just hit the ball flat out. He's got great groundies. He's got a good serve. Uh, he's got pretty good footwork and just doesn't make a lot of easy errors. And when he's in position to hit the ball... When he's not having to defend very much, when he's in neutral rallies, when he looks to build, when he looks to finish, I love Taylor Fritz off the ground, both wings. And he's red hot right now. So uh, tough draw for Tsitsipas in that respect. Upset alert. I just don't see any of the seeds really getting upset here. Nishikori could face uh, Gaz K or Benoit Pair or will face the winner of that match in the second round. Uh, Bautista Agut gets qualifier Bernard Tomic. I don't see any threat for him. Gail Monfils gets Canadian wildcard Peter Polanski. Almost zero threat there for, for Monfils. After that, he gets Avashka or uh, Kwon Soon Woo. So, I mean, I just feel like all the seeds here, besides Tsitsipas, have a, actually a really good draw. And I just don't think Tsitsipas loses to Fritz. Although I think he, he very well could, but I'm not ready to put uh, Tsitsipas on upset alert. Early popcorn, this isn't that good a match, Perrin Gasquet. But, 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 I just want to draw attention to the fact that there are like very few players on the men's side with better backhands than forehands. I actually think that there are only three. 
And I mean backhands that are so much better than the forehand that they won't even run around their backhand to hit a forehand, that they won't even use footwork to do it because their backhand is literally bigger and better. I think it's Daniil Medvedev, Richard Gasquet, and Benoit Paire. So a lot of people say, like even, you know, people known for good, good backhands, Stan Wawrinka, Novak Djokovic, they're still running around it to hit a forehand because their forehand's bigger, it's more potent. But these guys actually have better back, better backhands. So this is a very unique matchup here because you got two of the three players that I actually believe have better backhands than forehands. So I just wanted to bring attention to that. Schwartzman is also in this quarter. I mean, you you know, there's a there's a couple guys who can come through this, but ultimately, I like a well-rested Kane Shikori who's playing very consistent tennis um and who is now on in my opinion his best surface, which is a faster outdoor hard court. Um so I like Kane Shikori to get through this. Especially if if Tsitsipas is a little bit weary physically and mentally, uh, if he has to play some long matches against you know a Taylor Fritz, I think Nishikori's got a nice draw. He's got the first round draw uh, by. He's going to be fresh and he's going to get through this quarter. Alexander Zverev's quarter is the toughest to predict, as it tends to be. And uh, I think this happened. Did this happen at Wimbledon? Where Zverev and Hachinov shared a quarter, and I'm like, oh my god, who is coming out of this? Someone crazy. And then, lo and behold, Roberto Bautista Agut comes out of that quarter. I think that's what that's how it played out. Anyway, uh, you have some really dangerous unseeded players here. I think FAA, uh, Stan Wawrinka, uh, who faces Dimitrov in the first round. Wawrinka, the heavy favorite there. Uh, all the Canadians bunched, bunched up. Vasek Pospisil got a wild card. He'll play FAA in the first round. Milos Raonic plays Luka Pui. Pui rather dangerous, by the way, on a fast hard court. And Raonic not in very good form. So that's why um, I have Raonic on upset alert because I think that's a relatively tough match um, against Pui in the first round. So all the Canadians bunched up here. And then you have Sanga and Jan Leonard Struff. Then you have Martin Fuksovic playing Cameron Norrie in the first round. To me, this is the quarter with the weakest seeds and the strongest unseeded players, which is why I have the dark horse. I just put Sanga slash Struff because I don't really know who's going to win that first round match. They're actually playing as I speak. So by the time this video goes up, that match will have been over. But I just feel like whoever gets that gets through that, that match uh, could be dangerous. I kind of agonized over this quarter and I just went with Karen Hatchinoff. It's time for it's time for him to kind of settle in on on his favorite surface, and this is a faster hard court than New York, but I think it's pretty lively. I was going back, I was on YouTube, I I wanted to try to get a feel for for the conditions. I think this is a pretty lively hard court, uh, a rather high bouncing card hard court that's going to take Karen Hatchinoff's heavy spin pretty well. Um, and I think it'll suit him. I wasn't really sure who to go with here. Uh, Basilashvili is also in there. I didn't talk about him, um, who's coming off of Hamburg. But I'm hesitant to go with the guys coming off of clay court tennis. People who choose to play post-Wimbledon clay, I'm always hesitant in Montreal because they're really still, they got to still be getting used to the surface at this point. So I'm going with Karen Hatchinoff. And Zverev, I just want to say, I think uh, we'll have a really tough second round. I think it'll be Fuksovic, who I think is probably the most underrated player in the sport. 
Um, and when I say underrated, I mean like he's really no one ever talks about him. He's not rated very high at all. So I mean he's not spectacular. I just think he's always dangerous and kind of underappreciated. And then uh, Strew for Sanga. So I think I think Zverev's going to have a tough go. Finally, video coming up on 40 minutes. We go to Dominic Team's quarter. Team, Daniil Medvedev, John Isner, Marin Cilic. Another quarter where I think any of the, uh, all the seeds are somewhat dangerous here. Dominic Team being as strong as he is, but he's coming off clay, uh, winning Kitzbühel. Congratulations to Dominic Team, by the way. Huge win for him in front of his home ta- uh, his his home fans. I was very happy for Dominic, and I think that's a good way to go into the hard court season because I mean, it's just uh, it's just mentally always nice. Remember, Djokovic won the Davis Cup in 2010, and how good that made him feel going into 2011. I just think winning in front of your home fans is just a nice it, it's a nice refresher for for players. So I think that's a nice nice win for team going into hardcore season. Medvedev is so strong on hard courts. No one wins more than him on hard courts in the last in the last, you know, 16 months or so. And then John Isner, Marin Cilic looked better. He lost to Medvedev ultimately, but he looked better in Washington DC. So I kind of have an eyebrows eyebrow raised right now um with Marin Cilic. Dark Horse, Shapovalov. I'm not, I don't feel too strongly about this, but again, he's getting Dominic Team coming straight off clay court tennis. And he's generally really good at this tournament. He's not good on grass. He's not good on clay. So I, he's one of those guys, Shapovalov, who has this big portion in the middle of the season where he's not much of a threat to anyone. And then people can forget about him. It's kind of similar to Medvedev in that way. But now he's back, he's on his favorite surface, and maybe he can catch Dominic Team before he's in hardcourt form. And this is a, a quicker hardcourt as well. It's my dark horse, Shapovalov, home soil tournament for him. Upset alert, John Isner. This more has to do with Isner's form. And Jordan Thompson, going to put the ball on the court, going to ask questions of Isner, going to return his serve decently well, in my opinion. And then early popcorn. How about a rematch of the City Open final? Kyrgios Medvedev in round two. How exciting is that? Clear pick for early popcorn. Final weekend, Nadal over Nishikori, straight sets. Medvedev over Hachinov in three sets. Nadal beats Medvedev in two sets. I do think Rafa Nadal um, is going to come off first tournament since Wimbledon. Big three's not in here. He's going to come in with confidence. Um, he's, and I, I, I'm, I think he's going to win this tournament. I feel pretty confidently should be very healthy, should be refreshed. And I'm confidently picking Nadal, uh, to win Montreal. That'll do it for this week's edition of Monday match analysis, a long one without comment response. Who knew I could talk this much? Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.